Chapter 18 of Brigands of the Moon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Brigands of the Moon by Ray Cummings. Chapter 18. A fair little world. I had thought so before, and I thought so now as I gazed at the asteroid hanging so close before our bow. A huge, thin crescent with the sun off to one side behind it. A silver crescent tinged with red. From this near vantage point all of the little globe's disk was visible. The seas lay in grey patches. The convexity of the disk was sharply defined. So small a world, fair and beautiful, shrouded with clouded areas. Where is Miko? In the lounge, Greg. Can we stop there? Moa turned into the lounge archway. Strange, tense scene. I saw Anita at once. Her robed figure lurked in an inconspicuous corner. Her eyes were upon me as Moa and I entered, but she did not move. The thirty-odd passengers were huddled in a group. Solemn, white-faced men, frightened women. Some of them were sobbing. One earth woman, a young widow, sat holding her little girl and wailing with uncontrolled hysteria. The child knew me. As I appeared now with my gold-laced white coat over my shoulders, the little girl seemed to see in my uniform a mark of authority. She left her mother and ran to me. You, please, will you help us? My mum is crying. I sent her gently back, but there came upon me then a compassion for these innocent passengers, fated to have embarked on this ill-fated voyage. Herded here in this cabin with brigands like pirates of old guarding them, waiting now to be marooned on an uninhabited asteroid roaming in space. A sense of responsibility swept me. I swung upon Miko. He stood with a nonchalant grace, lounging against the wall with a cylinder dangling in his hand. He anticipated me and was the first to speak. So, Haljan, she has put some sense into your head? No more trouble? Then get to the turret. Moa, stay there with him. Send Hahn here. Where is that ass, Coniston? We will be in the atmosphere shortly. I said, No more trouble for me, Miko, but these passengers. What preparation are you making for them on the asteroid? He stared in surprise. Then he laughed. I am no murderer. The crew is preparing food, all we can spare, and tools. They can build themselves shelter. They'll be picked up in a few weeks. Dr. Frank was here. I caught his gaze, but he did not speak. On the lounge couches there still lay the five bodies. Rankin, who had been killed by Blackstone in the fight. A man-passenger killed, a woman and a man wounded as well. Miko added, Dr. Frank will take his medical supplies and will care for the wounded. There are other bodies among the crew. His gesture was depreciating. I have not buried them. We will put them ashore. Easier that way. The passengers were all eyeing me. I said, You have nothing to fear. I will guarantee you the best equipment we can spare. I turned to Miko. You will give them apparatus with which to signal? Yes. Get to the turret. I turned away, with Moa after me. Again the little girl ran forward. Come, speak to my mum. She's crying. I was across the cabin from Miko. Coniston had appeared from the deck. It created a slight diversion. He joined Miko. Wait, I said to Moa. She is afraid of you. This is humanity. I pushed Moa back. I followed the child. I'd seen that Venza was sitting with the child's weeping mother. This was a ruse to get a word with me. I stood before the terrified woman while the child clung to my legs. I said gently, 
Don't be frightened. Dr. Frank will take care of you. There is no danger. You'll be safer on the asteroid than here on the ship. I leant down and touched her shoulder. There is no danger. I was between Venza and the open cabin. Venza whispered swiftly, When are we landing, Greg? I want you to make a commotion, anything, just as the women go ashore. Why, of course you will have food, Miss Francis. Never mind details. An instant. Just confusion. Go, Greg. Don't speak now. I raised the child. You take care of mother. I kissed her. From across the cabin, Miko's sardonic voice made me turn. Touching sentimentality, Haljan. Get to your post in a turret. His rasping note of annoyance brooks no delay. I set the child down. I said, I will land us in an hour. Depend on it. Hahn was at the controls where Moa and I reached the turret. You will land us safely, Haljan, he demanded anxiously. I pushed him away. Miko wants you in the lounge. You take command here? Yes. I'm no more anxious for a crash than you are, Hahn. He sighed with relief. That is true, of course. I am no expert at atmospheric entry. Have no fear. Sit down, Moa. I waved to the lookout in the forward watchtower and got his routine gesture. I rang the corridor bells and the normal signals came promptly back. I turned to Hahn. Get along, won't you? Tell Miko that things are all right here. Hahn's small, dark figure, lithe as a leopard in his tight-fitting trousers and jacket with his robe now discarded, went swiftly down the spider incline and across the deck. Moa, where is Snap? By the inferno, if he has been injured... Up on the radio room bridge, the brigand guard still sat. Then I saw that Snap was out there sitting with him. I waved from the turret window, and Snap's cheery gesture answered me. His voice carried down through the silver moonlight. Land us safely, Greg, these weird amateur navigators. Within the hour, I had us dropping into the asteroid's atmosphere. The ship heated steadily, the pressure went up. It kept me busy with the instruments and the calculations, but my signals were always promptly answered from below. The brigand crew did its part efficiently. At 150,000 feet, I shifted the gravity plates to the landing combinations and started the electronic engines. All safe, Greg? Moa sat at my elbow. Her eyes, with what seemed a glow of admiration in them, followed my busy routine activities. Yes, the crew works well. The electronic streams flowed out like a rocket tail behind us. The planetara caught their impetus. In the rarefied air, our bow lifted slightly, like a ship riding a gentle ground swell. At a hundred thousand feet, we sailed gently forward, hull down to the asteroid's surface, cruising to seek a landing space. A little sea was now beneath us, a shadowed sea, deep purple in the night down there. Occasional verdurous islands showed, with the lines of white surf marking them. Beyond the sea, a curving coastline was visible, rocky headlands, behind which mountain foothills rose in serrated, verdurous ranks. The sunlight edged the distant mountains, and presently this rapidly turning little world brought the sunlight forward. It was day beneath us. We slid gently downwards, thirty thousand feet now, above a sparkling blue ocean. The coastline was just ahead, green, with a lush tropical vegetation. Giant trees, huge-leaved, long dangling vines, air plants, with giant pods and vivid orchid-like blossoms. I sat at the turret window, staring through my glasses. A fair little world, yet obviously uninhabited. I could fancy that this was all newly sprung vegetation. This asteroid had whirled in from the cold of the interplanetary space, 
far outside the solar system. A few years ago, as time might be measured astronomically, it was no more than yesterday. This fair landscape was congealed white and bleak with a sweep of glacial ice. But the seeds of life miraculously were here, the miracle of life. Under the warming, germinating sunlight, the verdure had sprung. Can you find a landing space, Greg? Moa's question brought back my wandering fancies. I saw an upland glade, a level spread of ferns with the forest banked around it, a cliff height nearby, frowning down at the sea. Yes, I can land us there. I showed her through the glasses. I rang the sirens and we spiralled, descending further. The mountaintops were now close beneath us. Clouds were overhead, white masses with blue sky behind them. A day of brilliant sunlight, but soon, with our forward cruising, it was night. The sunlight dropped beneath the sharply convex horizon. The sea and the land went purple. A night of brilliant stars. The earth was a blazing blue-red point of light. The heavens visibly were revolving. In an hour or so, it would be daylight again. On the forward deck now, Coniston had appeared, commanding half a dozen of the crew. They were carrying up caskets of food and the equipment which was to be given to the marooned passengers, and making ready the disembarking incline, losing the seals of the side dome windows. Sternward on the deck by the lounge oval, I could see Miko standing, and occasionally the roar of his voice at the passengers sounded. My vagrant thoughts flung back to Earth's history. Like this, ancient travellers of the surface of the sea were herded by pirates to walk the plank or to be put ashore, marooned upon some fair desert island of the tropic Spanish main. Hahn came mounting our turret incline. All is well, Greg Haljan? Get to your work, Moa told him sharply. He retreated, joining the bustle and confusion which now was beginning on the deck. It struck me. Could I turn that confusion to account? Would it be possible, now, at the last moment, to attack these brigands? Snap still sat outside the radio room doorway, but his guard was alert with upraised projector, and that guard, I saw, in his position, commanded all the deck. And I saw, too, as the passengers now were herded in a line from the lounge oval, that Miko had roped and bound all of the men. A clanking chain connected them. They came like a line of convicts marching forwards and stopped on the open deck near the base of the turret. Dr. Frank's grim face gazed up at me. Miko ordered the women and children in a group beside the chained men. His words to them reached me. You're in no danger. When we land, be careful. You will find gravity very different. This is a very small world. I flung on the landing lights. The deck glowed with the blue radiance. The search beam shot down beside our hull. We hung now a thousand feet above the forest glade. I cut off the electronic streams. We poised with the gravity plate set at normal and only a gentle night breeze to give us a slight drift. This I could control with the lateral propeller rudders. For all my busy landing routine, my mind was on other things. Benzer's swift words back there in the lounge. I was to create a commotion while the passengers were landing. Why, had she and Dr. Frank some last-minute desperate purposes? I determined I would do what she said. Shout or misorder the lights. That would be easy. I was glad it was night. I had, indeed, calculated our descent so that the landing would be in darkness. But to what purpose? These brigands were very alert. There was nothing I could think of to do which would avail us anything more than a probable swift death under Miko's anger. Well done, Greg, said Moa. I cut off the last of the propellers. With scarcely a perceptible jar, the planetara grounded, rose like a feather, 
and settled to rest in the glade. The deep purple night with stars overhead was around us. I hissed out our interior air through the dome and hull ports and admitted the night air of the asteroid. My calculations, of necessity mere mathematical approximations, proved fairly accurate. In temperature and pressure there was no radical change as the dome window slid back. We had landed. Whatever Venza's purpose, her moment was at hand. I was tense, but I was aware also that beside me Moa was very alert. I had thought her unarmed. She was not. She sat back from me. In her hand was a long, thin knife blade. She murmured tensely, You've done your part, Greg, well and skillfully done. Now we will sit here quietly and watch them land. Snap's guard was standing, keenly watching. The lookouts in the forward and stern towers were also armed. I could see them both gazing keenly down at the confusion of the blue-lit deck. The incline went over the hull side and touched the ground. Enough! Miko roared. The men first. Hahn, move the women back. Coniston, pile those caskets to the side. Get out of the way, Prince. Anita was down there. I saw her at the edge of the group of women. Venza was near her. Miko shoved her. Get out of the way, Prince. You can help Coniston. Have the things ready to throw off. Five of the steward crew were at the head of the incline. Miko shouted up at me. Haljan, hold our shipboard gravity normal. Yes. The line of men were the first to descend. Dr. Frank led them. He flashed a look of farewell up at me and Snap as he went down the incline with the chained men passengers after him. A motley procession. Twenty-odd, disheveled, half-clothed men of these worlds. The changing lightning gravity on the incline caught them. Dr. Frank bounded up to the rail under the impetus of his step, caught and held himself, and drew himself back. The line swayed. In the dim, blue-lit glare it seemed unreal, crazy. A grotesque dream of men descending a plank. They reached the forest glade, stood swaying, afraid at first to move. The purple night crowded them. They stood gazing at this strange world, their new prison. Now the women! Miko was shoving the women to the head of the incline. I could feel Moa's gaze upon me. A knife gleamed in the turret light. She murmured again, In a few moments you can bring us away, Greg. I felt like an actor, awaiting his cue in the wings of some turgid drama, the plot of which he did not know. Benza was near the head of the incline. Some of the women and children were on it. A woman screamed. Her child had slipped from her hand, bounded up over the rail and fallen. Hardly fallen. Floated down to the ground, with flailing arms and legs landing in the dark ferns unharmed. Its terrified wail came up. There was a confusion on the incline. Venza, still on the deck, seemed to send a look of appeal to the turret. My cue? I slid my hand to the light switchboard. It was near my knees. I pulled a switch. The blue-lit deck beneath the turret went dark. I recall an instant of horrible, tense silence, and in the gloom beside me I was aware of Moa moving. I felt a thrill of instinctive fear. Would she plunge the knife into me? The silence of the darkened deck was broken with a confusion of sounds, a babble of voices, a woman passenger's scream, shuffling feet, and above it all Miko's roar. Stand quiet, everyone! No movement! On the descending incline there was chaos. The disembarking women were clinging to the gang rail. Some of them had evidently surged forward and fallen. Down on the ground, in the purple-shadowed starlight, I could vaguely see the chained line of men. They too were in confusion, trying to shove themselves towards the fallen women. Miko roared, Light those tubes, Greg Haljan! By the Almighty! Moa, are you up there? 
What is wrong? The light tubes! Dark drama of unknown plot. I wondered if I should try and leave the turret. Where was Anita? She had been down there on the deck when I flung out the lights. I think twenty seconds would have covered it all. I had not moved. I thought, is Snap concerned with this? Moa's knife could have stabbed me. I felt her lunge against me, and suddenly I was gripping her, twisting her wrist, but she flung the knife away. Her strength was almost the equal of my own. Her hand went for my throat, and with the other hand she was fumbling. The deck abruptly sprang into light again. Moa had found the switch and threw it back. She fought me as I tried to reach the switch. I saw down on the deck Miko was gazing up at us. Moa panted, Greg, stop. If he sees you doing this, he'll kill you. The scene down there was almost unchanged. I had answered my cue. To what purpose? I saw Anita near Miko. The last of the women were on the plank. I had stopped struggling with Moa. She sat back, panting, and then she called, Sorry, Miko, it will not happen again. Miko was in a towering rage, but he was too busy to bother with me. His anger swung on those nearest him. He shoved the last of the women violently at the incline. She bounded over. Her body, with the gravity pull of only a few earth pounds, sailed in an arc and dropped near the swaying line of men. Miko swung back. Get out of my way! A sweep of his huge arm knocked Anita sideways. Prince, damn you! Help me with those boxes! The frightened stewards were lifting the boxes. Square metal storage chests, each as long as a man, packed with food, tools and equipment. Here, get out of my way, all of you! My breath came again. Anita nimbly retreated before Miko's angry rush. He dashed at the stewards. Three of them held a box. He took it from them, raised it at the top of the incline, poised it over his head for an instant, with his massive arms like grey pillars beneath it, and flung it. The box catapulted, dropped, and then, passing the planetara's gravity area, it sailed in a long, flat arc over the forest glade and crashed into the purple underbrush. Give me another! The stewards pushed another at him. Like an angry titan, he flung it, and another. One by one, the chests sailed outward and crashed. There is your food. Go pick it up. Haljan, make ready to ring us away. On the deck lay the dead body of Rance Rankin, which the stewards had carried out. Miko seized it, flung it. There, go to your last resting place. And the other bodies, Balk, Blackstone, Captain Carter, Johnson, Miko flung them all. And the course masters and those of our crew who had been killed. The passengers were all on the ground now. It was dim down there. I tried to distinguish Venza, but could not. I could see Dr. Frank's figure at the end of the chained line of men. The passengers were gazing in horror at the bodies hurtling over them. Ready, Haljan? Moa prompted me. Tell him yes. I called, yes. Had Venza failed in her unknown purpose? It seemed so. On the radio room bridge, Snap and his guard stood like silent statues in the blue-lit gloom. The disembarkation was over. Close the ports, Miko commanded. The incline came folding up with a clatter. The port and dome windows slid closed. Moa hissed against my ear. If you want life, Greg Haljan, you will start your duties. Venza had failed. Whatever it was, it had come to nothing. Down in the purple forest, disconnected now from the ship, the last of our friends stood marooned. I could distinguish them through the blur of the closed dome. Only a swaying, huddled group was visible. But my fancy pictured this last sight of them. Dr. Frank, Venza, Shack, and Dud Ardley. They were gone. There were left only Snap, 
Anita and myself. I was mechanically ringing us away. I heard my sirens sounding down below, with the answering clangs here in the turret. The planetara's respiratory controls started, the pressure equalizers began operating, and the gravity plates began shifting into lifting combinations. The ship was hissing and quivering with it, combined with the grating of the last of the dome ports, and Miko's command, Lift, Haljan! Hahn had been mingling with the confusion of the deck, though I'd hardly noticed him. Coniston had remained below with the crew answering my signals. Hahn stood now with Miko gazing down through a deck window. Anita was alone at another. Lift, Haljan! I lifted up gently, bow first, with a repulsion of the bow plates, and started the central electronic engine. Its thrust from the stern moved us diagonally over the purple forest trees. The glade slid downward and away. I caught a last vague glimpse of the huddled group of marooned passengers staring up at us, left to their fate, alone on this deserted world. With the three engines going, we slid smoothly upward. The forest dropped, a purple spread of treetops edged with starlight and earthlight. The sharply curving horizon seemed to follow us upward. I swung on all the power. We mounted at a forty-degree angle, slowly circling, with a bank of clouds over us to the side and the shining little sea beneath. Very good, Greg. In the turret light mower's eyes blazed at me. I do not know what you meant by darkening the deck lights. Her fingers dug at my shoulders, but I will tell my brother it was an error. I said, an error, yes. I didn't know what it was, but you have me to deal with, you understand? I will tell my brother so. You said on earth a man may kill the thing he loves. A woman of Mars may do that. Beware of me, Greg Haljan. Her passion-filled eyes bored into me. Love, hate, the venom of a woman scorned, a mingling of turgid emotions. I twisted back from her grip and ignored her. She sat back, silently watching my busy activities. The calculations of the shifting conditions of gravity, pressures, temperatures, a checking of the instruments on the board before me. Mechanical routine. My mind went back to Venza. Back there on the asteroid. The wandering little world was already shrinking to a convex surface beneath us. Venza with her last unknown play, gone to failure. Had I missed my cue? Whatever my part, it seemed now that I must have horribly misacted it. The crescent earth was presently swinging over our bow. We rocketed out of the asteroid's shadow. The glowing, flaming sun appeared, making the crescent of the earth. With the glass I could see our tiny moon, visually seeming to hug the limb of its parent earth. We were on our course to the moon. My mind flung ahead. Grantline with his treasure, unsuspecting this brigand ship... And suddenly, beyond all thought of Grantline, there came to me a fear for Anita. In God's truth, I had been, so far, a very stumbling, inept champion, doomed to failure with everything I tried. Why had I not contrived to have Nita desert at the asteroid? Would it have not been far better for her there, taking her chance for rescue with Dr. Frank, Venza and the others? But no, I had, like a fool, never thought of that. Had let her remain here on board at the mercy of these outlaws, and I swore now that beyond everything I would protect her. Futile oath, if I could have seen ahead a few hours. But I sensed the catastrophe. There was a shudder within me as I sat in that turret, docilely guarding us through the asteroid's atmosphere, heading us upon our course for the moon. End of chapter 18